Are you tired of being told what to think and how to act? Well, you are not alone. In case you haven't realized it, you have an internal GPS. It knows all you need to know about how to live your life. So it's about time you stopped letting the media and the government tell you what is true for you. In fact, it is exactly that time. It's time to think for yourself. And here to make sure you're doing just that is your host, mediator, author, and lawyer, Carol Gold. Hi, it's Sunday, December 12th. I'm Carol Gold, and welcome to Think for Yourself. I watched a couple of interesting interviews this week and read an interesting article, which was really a review of a book, and I want to share all of it with you because I think from both the interviews and the book review, there are some important takeaways that are helpful to each one of us as we go through the life we're living right now in the world we're living in. So just to give you an overview, the first interview was Bill Maher interviewing Jordan Peterson. The second interview was Glenn Beck's interview of Patrick Bet-David. And the book review was Walter Isaacson's new book called Elon Musk, which is, of course, all about Elon Musk. I want to share thoughts from those three sources and then add something of my own. So let me start with Bill Maher's interview of Jordan Peterson. There was something in that interview that was particularly noted by me as I listened to it. And it was that Bill Maher, who politically is usually someplace other than where I am, but he has moments where I think he's incredibly spot on also about the situation in the country. And I think he's also able to look at his own political affiliations or his own sociological and cultural alignments and criticize them, right? Which is rare. Not many people in public positions or people with microphones are willing to self-reflect and indicate that a group or an organization that they may be aligned with could be out of step. But he is willing to do that. And I, and I admire that in him, even though at other times I have a real problem with where he stands on certain issues. But what struck me in this particular interview is that Bill Maher, partly because he's a comedian and partly because I think it's actually his personality, he can at times be incredibly crude and he also clearly hates Donald Trump. So the two things aren't necessarily connected, but Maher takes every opportunity he can in a conversation to, number one, disparage Trump or try to draw an analogy between something negative in the conversation and Donald Trump. That's one thing. And the other thing, as I mentioned a moment ago, is that he can be very crude. He can make really gross and crude sexual references at times that I think are totally inappropriate and interestingly enough, not necessary. But he seems to want to do that. That's his point of reference. And I don't know whether it's the shock value or whether he's hung up sexually. I don't know where it's coming from. But what struck me most was how Peterson deals with that. Because Bill Maher, who actually said this in the interview, he said that he sees himself as part of a sort of a club, an official club of individuals from different political persuasions who all respect one another and can interact with one another in a very respectful, mutually respectful way. He particularly made note of that 
in that Peterson has been very ill in recent years. And suddenly on this particular interview, when he arrived, he looked remarkably healthy. He had obviously been on vacation. He was tan, was in a very, dressed in a very nice suit. And Bill Maher noted all of that. And he made a point of saying, you know, a lot of us were really worried that we would lose you because there are so few of us in the club. And I'm paraphrasing. I'm not sure he used the word club, but I'm trying to give you the impression of what his descriptive way of identifying himself along with Peterson and other individuals who, as I said, have some sort of mutual admiration or mutual respect society going. So I found it interesting and a little odd that Bill Maher perceives himself that way. I sort of understand why, and at the same time, I feel like there's a little hubris in it because he's clearly not on the same level, in my opinion, or even frequency as Jordan Peterson. And I feel like Jordan Peterson not so much has to dumb it down because I think that Bill Maher understands and can follow Peterson most of the time. It's that in a way, Peterson does have to sort of close off a lot of himself or not be able to go to the expansiveness within his own ability to articulate that he can with other interviewers because of Mars' limited way of looking at things. Okay, so here's my point. I watched how Jordan Peterson dealt with the times that Bill Maher either took attacks at Trump or took an opportunity to attack Trump, or used some really crude sexual reference that Marr seemed to become hysterical and laughing at. I watched how Peterson dealt with those. And here's what he did. He didn't get triggered, and he didn't engage, and he didn't respond. He simply came back with what I would call higher ground. He came back in a way that not only negated what Marr had said, but took the conversation off in another direction and in a higher direction. And I thought it was very instructive because many of us do find ourselves in conversations these days with people who vehemently disagree or have a very different vision or perspective of where the country is and where it needs to go. Oftentimes, those interactions wind up being incredibly hostile or have ended friendships or have estranged family members. It was instructive for me, educational, a learning experience to watch what Peterson did. The second interview was Glenn Beck interviewing Patrick Bet David. Now, I never heard of Patrick Bet David, my shortcoming, I'm sure. He is apparently a multimillionaire, if not a billionaire, He's an Iranian-born American. He's an entrepreneur. He's an author. He's a YouTuber. And he came to this country at age 11. His parents fled from Iran in 19, I don't know, 78, I think it was. I'm not sure. Maybe 78. Anyway, in this interview with Glenn Beck, he talked about two books in particular that I want to just comment on. And then I want to comment on a principle that he spoke to. So the first book is called Blue Ocean. Perhaps if you're in business or you're an entrepreneur, you already know of this book as you will of the other one, but I wasn't familiar with either one of them. 
So Blue Ocean, which is subtitled How to Create Uncontested Market Space and Make the Competition Irrelevant, and I think it has a multitude of contributors, but the two that are on the cover are Roger Wayne and W. Chen Kim. The book is really about if you're an entrepreneur, if you're trying to start your own business, the key is not competing with what already exists, but in essence, creating a new niche for yourself in the marketplace and making it affordable so that people can take advantage in a good way of the opportunity or the product or the service that you're offering. The second book was called Unreasonable Hospitality. And the subtitle of it is The Remarkable Power of Giving People More Than They Expect, written by Will, I think the pronunciation is Guidara. It's what the title suggests. It's about providing value, whether it's a service or a product, providing value beyond what's expected by the consumer. Now, he also spoke of a principle called valuetainment. And I think that's the name of his podcast and, and his YouTube videos. Valuetainment caught my interest because in many ways, it's why I've done this podcast and it's how I do this podcast. Meaning, you know, in Kabbalah, in Jewish mysticism, there's a principle called the desire to receive for oneself alone versus the desire to receive for the sake of sharing. And the principle is based on or predicated upon the belief that light or energy comes from source to all of us. We're all energy after all, right? We get an influx of life-supporting energy from source, whatever you believe that is. For me, it's God. And that the reception of this, the desire to get this, the desire to receive this, the desire to be filled with that kind of energy can be for two purposes. It can be for yourself alone, or it can be receiving for the sake of sharing. And the latter, obviously, receiving for the sake of sharing is of greater importance and is of a higher, I would say, frequency because it's not selfish. It's not just for you. It's to share in order to help others. So I go back to it's really why I've always done podcasting or before this even talk radio. My talk radio show was called Higher Ground. The reason is, is that, you know, it's funny. I never promote my services on here. I never promote that I'm a mediator. I, I never, pro I shouldn't say never. I rarely promote that I'm a mediator. I rarely promote my books that are on Amazon. I rarely promote that I do spiritual counseling. I rarely promote that I do spiritual healing, distance healing. And it's because it's really not why I do the podcast. I don't do it to monetize it in any way, shape, or form. Maybe it's a shortcoming of mine. I have a platform and I don't use it to market myself or my products or my services per se. But I do it for the same reason that I frequently talk about depression or suicide my suicide attempt in my 20s, or why I share personal challenges from my everyday life on an ongoing basis, I do it because fundamentally I believe there's only one of us. There's only one of us. So what does that mean? Well, to me, it means we're all connected on some level in some way. 
spiritually, I guess, or in most religions, we're all connected in the sense that we all come from an original single source. And in death, many believe that we all return to that source, whatever. The point is, we're here now and we're here now together. And all of us have joys and all of us have sorrows and all of us experience adversity and suffering in our lives. And I think that when we share those experiences and lessons learned from them, in other words, when you actually bring meaning to your suffering, as Viktor Frankl would say in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, when you bring meaning to suffering and you can share that, it doesn't mean you can alleviate someone else's suffering because oftentimes that's the only way we learn. But you can help them bring meaning to their own suffering. And sometimes just sharing the meaning in your own suffering becomes a lifeline to someone else in a moment when they desperately need to hang on or grab on to something. So when Bette David talked about valuetainment, I really thought to myself that that's what I try to do here on the podcast. I try to give you value, meaning not in terms of dollars, but in terms of meaning and experience. I try to share with you the takeaway, the higher takeaway that I take not only from my own personal experiences, but the takeaway that I can then share with you so that you perhaps can use that for your own highest good, for your own advancement. So now, let me talk about the book review. Apparently, Walter Isaacson, who's very famous for doing biographies, recently released his latest on Elon Musk. He says that Musk is really trying to change the world because, in Musk's view, the arteries harden on a civilization that quits taking risks. And I found that quote just stunning, that the arteries harden on a civilization that quits taking risks, because that's all Musk does. He takes risks day in and day out. Everything he starts, everything he does, he very much lives on the edge. And maybe that's a kind of personality, and you have to have that kind of personality to live on the edge, but not to the extreme that Elon Musk does, obviously. He takes incredible risk and he gets incredible reward for the risks he takes. Some are failures, but some are incredibly successful. And that's the only way that happens is if you're willing to put it all out on the field. Not to the extent that he does, but you know, I understand the quote because I've done it my whole life. I don't see myself necessarily as brave or courageous, but I've never understood stagnation. And it might be why I've been an entrepreneur my entire life and never worked for another person or organization. And the reason is, is that I think that in stagnation, you come very close to death. Risk-taking is energizing. It's terrifying, but it's also energizing. You know you're alive. So for example... I've moved 17 times in my life. Some of them were major moves. Some of them were minor moves. Some were long distance and some were trying and some were exhausting. And I'm about to move again. This will be my 18th move. 
Many people that I know have said to me, my gosh, Carol, at your age, you want to move again? And my response is, well, where I am doesn't feel right anymore. It did when I got here, but it doesn't anymore. And there's a place I'd like to go and live, and I'm still alive and able to do it. So why wouldn't I? Will it be hard? Yes. The packing, the moving, the relocating, the reestablishing, absolutely. But it will also be enlivening and energizing and enriching. And it means I'm still alive and open to new experience. I'm not and never will be prepared to just sort of live out my life. I'm not a country club golf playing pickleball playing, move to Florida, live in a 55 plus community or something resembling a 55 plus community and kind of wait out my time with hobbies or things that fill my spirit. It's just not who I am. As long as I'm alive, I want to take those risks. I take them in the form of A, I've always been an entrepreneur, sometimes successful, sometimes not. And I have no problem moving one more time into an unknown environment because it will challenge me to stay open. It will challenge me to build new new friendships, new relationships. I will be exposed to new geography. And I think it's a modified version of what I took away from that quote from Elon Musk, that civilization's arteries harden when it quits taking a risk. And so each one of us can do that as well on our uh, scaled to our own existence. So from the two interviews and the review of Walter Isaacson's book, I have five takeaways to share with you. The first is practice not reacting to opposing views or getting triggered by them. Learn how to elevate the conversation instead. Learn how to take it in a new direction and at a higher frequency. Number two, capitalize on your differences. Don't try to conform to what is. Strike out in a new way and capitalize on your differences, on your strengths. Three, give people more than they expect or they anticipate. The more you give, the more you create space within yourself to receive more to give. The more you give, the more filled up you get. Four, make certain that your wants, other than those that you need for your basic survival, make sure that they're not desired for yourself alone, but for the sake of sharing. And by sharing, make someone else's life better. And number five, never stop taking risks in your own life. They keep you alive, whether they're physical, whether they're emotional, whether they're psychological, behavioral, whatever they are. Walk into the next unknown. Yes, it'll be a little anxiety producing, but your blood will flow. You'll know you're alive and you'll rack up one more life experience that you can only have while you're still in this body. Thanks for listening. I'm Carol Gold. Happy Hanukkah, fourth night tonight for all of those celebrating. And until next Sunday, by all means, think for yourself. 
Carol thanks you for spending your valuable time with her. It is her mission to empower you to remember how smart and capable you are. Be sure to check out Carol's website, carolgold.com. That's Carol with an E, gold.com. Please leave a review and subscribe here so you'll be alerted to Carol's next podcast. Until then, above all else, remember, it's time to think for yourself.